Let's read from James chapter 3, starting with the very first verse. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect or mature man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, or sets in motion the wheel of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. What would that wisdom from above be? That'd be the Word of God. Luke eleven forty nine. Jesus called the Word of God the wisdom of God. So let's read that, that verse that way. Verse 17. But the word of God is from above, and is first pure, then peaceable. The word is gentle, the word is easy to be entreated, the word is full of mercy, the word is full of good fruits, the word is without partiality, and the word is without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Praise God. If we find out exactly how our enemy functions and how he works, and we have the weapons that are more powerful than his, and we have access and know how to use those weapons, then frankly, in my estimation, in the, in the way I understand spiritual things, in the way I understand the Word of God after studying it, you wouldn't have studied very long to understand this, to know how my enemy works, and to have at my disposal weapons that are more powerful than his, not to stop him in his works, looks to me like be a sin. Isn't that right? I mean, just to stand by and let it go on looks to me like it be a sin. Yet, right on the other hand, most Christian people do that. Now, they don't do it 
uh, making up their mind, well, you know, I'm just going to let the devil run over me today. I mean, after all, I think he ought to have a shot once in a while. I mean, they don't do it that way, and nobody does it that way. I want to show you something today about the operation of Satan and the way he works. And if you will catch on to it and begin to realize it, he'll never, ever be able to put anything over on you. I was praying, oh, this took, this took place almost ten years ago. I was praying one afternoon. I had some meetings that were coming up, and, and I was praying about it. And I was just beginning to learn some of these things then. And the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with me. He dealt with me all afternoon long on this very thing that I'm going to share with you today, this very principle. And uh, he said to me, you wait until you get in that meeting over there before you ever bind the devil and go over there to preach. And he said, that's just not very smart. Well, I never had really thought about it. I just kind of was taking it, you know, one day at a time. He'd hit me and I'd try to do something about it. He'd take my money away from it. I'd squall and ball about it a little while and pray about it a while, you know, and beg God a while and anything else. I could kick the chairs over, whatever, you know, you think of at the time, but the money was gone. Now, <laughs> can you see what I mean? Now, people people don't do that in the natural, but they do it where spiritual things are concerned. And then I had the Lord say this to me, and I'll never forget it. He said if they'd have kicked Al Capone out while he was a bouncer down there at one of those joints, it wouldn't have been so hard to handle, but they waited until he became a, a king-sized criminal and had had his boundaries built up around him where you couldn't get to him, and then it took an army to get him down. See? And this is what I was doing in my own affairs. I would wait until Satan had built his defenses against me and had really walked in there and plundered everything I had and then tried to do something about it. And the Lord said, why don't you start praying and, and believing me and, and take care of the things that you have to do and then start your confession working now, which this was along about this time of year. He said, you've got those meetings coming up this summer. He said, why don't you start believing God for that now and just take care of it now? And he said, then you won't have to, you won't have to be faced with that when you get there. And then he said, when time comes for that meeting, he said, um, all you'll have to do is just say, Father, I'll roll all the care of this meeting over on you in the name of Jesus and just go on. Now, that was 10 years ago, and we've never had a meeting yet that missed a budget. Boy, <laughs> I couldn't have said that right then. I mean, we hadn't missed any budget, but whew, I want you to know it was getting awful close. It was just, it was rough, and it looked like a disaster was going to take place any minute. All the time it looked that way. Now, when God created man, he created a spiritual being in his own likeness. He created a, a God-like individual and gave him authority. Now, depending on your viewpoint, depending on where you stand, depending on your knowledge of God, it will depend on your knowledge of God, just how deeply you understand what it means when God said, I give you authority. Now, you have to understand this. All the angels of God, including Satan and all of his crowd, when God says what he says, they know what he means. And from that point on, because see, they know how God operates. Satan at one time had the anointing of God on him. He had insight into spiritual things. They know what the law is. 
They know exactly what God's laws are. They know exactly how God operates. And when God says something, they know how he operates. And if they're going to get around him, they know what they're going to have to do to get around him. Now, if God says, I give you authority, you know what that means? That means you have the right to say something where that's involved. Because in God's kingdom, in God's way, in God's method of operation, he uses words. Words are the weapons and ordinance of God. Words carry the power that give his authority its power of authority. If God has authority over the atmosphere, it's when he says, peace, be still, that the atmosphere obeys that authority. Do you follow that? Now, if you give a policeman authority, and then you give him a gun, and he has the right to shoot the gun in behalf of the authority that's his, you see. If the city of, the, of Fort Worth tells a policeman, you have authority over this right here, and then they give him a weapon to back up that authority with, well, then the crook knows what he's going to have to do is get around that gun. Isn't that right? I mean, he's faced with that pistol. He knows that thing and what it'll do. He knows the kind of firepower it has. He's, he's got to figure out some way to get around that gun. If he can get around that gun, he can get, he can get around the law, see. Well, Satan knows and has no doubt about the fact that in order to get around God, you want to get around his word. Because, whoo, Mac, that's where the power is. Mm, that's where all the dynamite's stored, boy. It's, that's the storehouse of God's power, is his word. See? And Satan knew that. All right. What did God do? He creates a spiritual being, a, a, a being that is in his class. And he says, subdue the earth. Now that means to Satan and all the rest of the angels, all the other angels knew that, and we're not having any trouble with them. Satan's the only one we're having any trouble with. The thief is the one we're having trouble with. But the minute that God said that, that automatically indicates to all of the angels, everybody that knows how God operates in any way, when he says, subdue the earth, that means when this guy says anything in the earth, it better obey. Because words are the basic fundamental authority of God. How did he create this earth? With words. What brought it into existence? Words. So now Satan is immediately affected. He immediately knows what he has to do. He's got to get around those words some way. Now, this is the first time he ever faced anybody but God that had the right to speak words and choose them too. Because he never had that right. Wasn't any other angel ever had that right. They could speak words, but they couldn't choose them. They had to, they had to speak whatever they were told. And when, when Satan stood up and said, I will exalt my throne above the throne of God, and I'll establish it in the sides of the north, and I'll go above the clouds. Well, when he started talking, brother, you could send his saddle home. It is all over right then. See, his attack on heaven, he didn't physically go up to the gates of it. He never did get that far. He didn't go in 
Marianas trying to shoot God from the outer gate. <laughs> There's a, there no need any keys on lots on that gate. You can't get there. You don't belong there. He tried it. He said, I will go. See, that's the only way he had of doing anything. He's got to say it first. That's the way things are made. Well, I just don't believe that too much. I don't care whether you do or not. That's the way the system's made. That's the way it's made. Some of you may not like gasoline, but you... <laughs> Some guy comes out there and says, Well, I don't believe in putting gas in the hole in the back. I believe it ought to be put in the radiator. I don't care. You're not going anywhere. Because the thing not made that way. You have to get in line with the way it's made. Now, you know, I've been flying for 20 years, and, I, and, and this, it's always amazing to me you, how you'll find some guy that'll come along that knows more than the guy that built the machine. And it not, won't take him too long. He'll stick it up like a dart out here somewhere. But he knew better, you know, than the guy that made the thing. And everybody that's ever made an airplane and put it on the market made a little book that went along with it. It said, Operator's Handbook. And the guy that built the machine tells the way the system is made. You get in line with it, it'll run from now on. Now, ain't that funny? Some guy thinks he knows more about his Ford than Ford. Now, they may have made some mistakes, but they know what they had in mind when they put the thing together. They know the steps that they took when they made it, you see. And if you follow the same direction, the same steps, you're going to come out a lot better operating the machine that they made if you're operating it in line with the way the thing was made in the first place. Isn't that right? And it just doesn't work very well if you take a, a Lincoln Continental and take it off down there in the, in the, in the jungles of South America and make a Jeep out of it. It, <laughs> it won't go very far. Now, you can take a vehicle that was made with that in mind and drive around down in there, you know, and actually use the same principles of manufacture as one did the other, but you got one out of its class, see? You go to pulling automobiles and, and drag and make a truck out of a, out of a car, it don't work, but you can take a truck and make a truck out of it, it works all right. Now, the same thing is true with the way God made the heavens and the earth. The same thing is true with every single thing that you and I have anything to do with. And he tells us here in the book of James exactly how the system works. And he, he describes both systems that, that are involved, the system of God and the system of Satan, and puts man right in the middle of it and tells him exactly how both systems operate. And looks like you and me ought to have sense enough to work. We would if we get in and operate it, you see. Now, and we do operate it. All the time. It's not a matter of, uh, of making a choice of whether or not we're going to operate. As long as you're, long as you're operating your five physical senses, you're operating one or the other. People operate these very principles under Satan's instruction in the negative. Not realizing that that's what they're doing. And you bring it over into the positive and begin to function like this and it makes you stick out like a sore thumb. Somebody said he's crazy. Why, he going around saying things with his mouth, thinking they're going to come to pass. Why, you're not going to get me say things with my mouth that I can't see. You're not going to, you're not going to catch me going around speaking of things that are not as though they were. Just wait five minutes. Just let the subject change. Just five minutes time. Let them just blab on. Don't say nothing about it. Just keep them out. Just stand there and grin. And then let them blab on. 
And about, it won't take usually five minutes. And you know what one of them will say? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It'll be just like it always is. Just as sure as we go down there and buy that new set of tires, we'll blow two of them out before we get a thousand miles on. Has it happened yet? Or are they speaking of things that are not as though they were? Now, that's the very guy that said he wouldn't do that. Yet he did it. He did it. Over and over and over. Well, that don't work for me. It just did. And the only way it works for you, see, is in the negative, because that's the only way you're pushing it. Now, before I get into what James has said here and show you how that system works and how Satan is using it, if you find out how he's using it, I'll tell you, it ain't, too, it ain't hard to pull his plug. You can put a stop to him. He has a very difficult time getting anything to work when everything's going his way. Well, I mean, he's got to get everything lined up just exactly right. Because, you see, he's a dead spirit. He doesn't have any life in him. Everything he does, he got to get somebody else to do it. He doesn't have any of his own. He has to get his license off of men. He always has. Ever since he gave up his position with God, he's always had to get his license from men. He had to get a license from Adam to even open his mouth here. Now, <laughs> why do you suppose James knew so much about this? Or why do you suppose he got this so deeply in, involved in this? I mean, Mark wrote some about it. Jesus taught about it. It's all over the Bible. Solomon taught it. David taught it. Samuel taught it. Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Nehemiah got all the whole bunch together one day, and they stood and made confessions of faith before the Lord, the Bible says, for a quarter of a day. They think we long-winded. A fourth of a day standing before God and speaking confessions of their mouth under the instruction of the Lord, saying it with their mouths. And then they wrote it down on paper, everything they said, and everybody that deserved signed it. Praise God. No wonder it comes fast. All right. James was raised in the same home with Jesus. Now, Jesus did not do any miracles until he was 30 years old and at the wedding feast of Cana. And that was a little premature. He told his mother it was. He said, woman, this is before my time. But you see, he didn't start living by faith after he was 30 years old. Because if he had, he wouldn't have pleased God. And the Bible said he grew in the wisdom and the stature of God and he pleased God perfectly. So he had to be living by faith. He lived by faith from the time he had... Uh, mental knowledge of, of how to use his own physical body in the earth. He had to live by faith. Well, see, you can't live by faith without talking faith. Now, do you remember what Mary told those men there at the wedding feast of Cana? She said, whatever he says to you, you do it. Now, she'd already found that out about him. Whatever he says will come fast. And, uh, and it, it was pretty obvious that he didn't talk like everybody else. That if everything was going one direction, he'd always go the direction of the Father. He'd always go toward what the Word would say. See, and he'd stump them and he'd stick out. You could just, he just stuck out above everybody else. They, they finally thought, the guy's either got to be a prophet or he's nuts. And his brothers thought he was a lunatic. That's what the Bible said. They thought he was, they, they thought he'd lost his mind. And James found out later that he hadn't lost his mind. But all the time he'd been living in the same household with the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. 
Well, he began to find out something, began to think about that and meditate on that. Thank God and just, just take the way Jesus lived. If you knew how Jesus lived, it wouldn't be hard to write that third chapter of James at all. Because all you had to do was just take the way Jesus lived and write it down. That'd be easy to see. Okay? He said, whatever they tell you, what she told that one, said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Whatever he says, you better do that. Now, this chapter of James makes two vital statements that we're going to look at today. One of them is that there is nothing in this earth that is so great and so powerful, including your body, that you can't turn around with your tongue. The other statement that has to be learned and understood in this as the, is that the entire course of nature that surrounds any human being is controlled with that human being's tongue. Now, let's take the latter one first, because most of you understand the, the, the first one. Well, we can just read this verse of Scripture here and find this out. Behold also the ships which, though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds... Yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. In other words, I don't care how fierce the winds are in your life or how big your ship is. If you will take the authority of the governor over the thing, take authority over the rudder, you can turn the ship. But now I want you to notice something that he says here, starting with verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold. How great a matter a literal fire kindleth. Now, you know what kindling wood is. The kindling is what starts the fire. You don't build a bonfire and then put the kindling in on top of it. You put the kindling at the bottom of the thing. The kindling wood is at the bottom of the fire. I don't care how big the fire gets, it started on the kindling wood. Isn't that right? Wherever the thing started to begin with, you don't go in and lay a great big old log out there in the fireplace or out where over the pit where you're going to burn it and take a match and try to strike it to the log. It won't burn. That log is too big. The log of life, the circumstances of this planet, the, the way it was put into motion, the operation that it is in because God put it that way. Satan is not big enough to start the bonfire at, with the big logs of this planet. It has to be started with the kindling of a man's tongue or he can't start it to start with. It's too big for him. He's not a god. He's a fallen angel. Can you understand that? If he was, he'd have destroyed this thing thousands of years ago. He'd wipe every human being out with one stroke. He'd have killed Adam to start with instead of messing with him. He couldn't kill him. He, had, he can't do it. He's got to have some kindling. You ever been stuck out in the woods and it's cold and you're wet and all you got's one match? I have. And you're standing there thinking, Ooh, I ain't got one match. I got to make this work. <laughs> you know, and I got to have a fire, man. And you got all kinds of wood laying around there and one match and can't find any kindling. Man, you get to a place where you think about going thinking about burning the sleeve off your shirt or something, you know, because it's getting cold. What are you going to do for some killing wood? you got to have something to start the fire or you are not going to get a fire. Isn't that true? Well, now you analyze Satan's operation a little bit and begin to realize that's what he's faced with. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. That's a scripture that will 
get you up in the middle of the night once you begin to think about this a little bit. He says that the tongue is a little member, it's small, it boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter, or how big a fire, a little fire, starts or kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. What does he mean by that, a world of iniquity? The entire world of iniquity, the whole thing that Satan does, every single thing in the world of iniquity, all of the kingdom of the damned, the whole operation depends on that piece of kindling to operate. The whole thing depends on that little member. If he can't get that little member, he can't get the man nor the circumstances that affect that man's life. I don't care how hard he tries, when that man has the shield of faith up, it will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Yes, it will. I said, well, I don't know about that. Well, there you go again. See, you you going against the Creator, trying to figure your way out. And you can do that all you want to. You can get born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, go to WIPU meeting four times a week. I mean, you know, I mean... <laughs> And, and you can just enjoy church, go to Sunday school, get there every time. But every time the, the storms of life hit your household, it's going to knock a slat out of everything you try to do. And you're the very one that will be walking around in there wringing your hands saying, My God, why me? Why did it happen to me? Am I not saved? Yeah, you're saved. Am I not baptized in the Holy Ghost? Yeah, you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, don't I minister to the people? Yeah, you minister to the people. Didn't I get folks saved? Yeah, you get folks saved. Don't make any difference. you got 22 million of them saved. This is the way the system works. And if you don't get it in line with it and begin to build your defenses with it, somewhere down the line, you're going to get your back gate kicked open and all hell's going to break loose right there in your yard. Now, whether you like that kind of talk or not, it's so. Somebody said, is that all you preach about, words? Matter of fact, yes. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. God's never done anything in this planet but what He said at first. That's the way you got saved, was with words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, and that's the reason your boat keeps bringing leaks. Because you don't think it matters that much. And Jesus said, by your words are you justified, by your words are you condemned, and you will stand judgment for every idle word that proceeds out of your mouth. Now, bless God, that don't, if, <laughs> if that don't mean it means something, then I don't understand words to start with. How could you put it in higher priority on something than that? He didn't say, by your fasting are you justified. He didn't even say, by your praying are you justified. He said, by your words are you justified. And by your words are you condemned. Now, when you understand what Satan's up against, you understand what he's got to do, then you can begin to see from the things around you how it works. If you don't know what you're, what he's up against, if you don't know what he's facing and what he's got to do to put it into motion, then you'll never get much out of the experiences of life. 
Now, if He can possibly do it, He'll keep your attention on the experiences of life. He'll keep you trying to analyze what happened to you and keep this old, this, this old, 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 old lie that He's sold among religious people that the storms of life come on us to teach us. And if he can keep that in front of you, he'll keep you in the storms of life, never learning anything. Because every time one of them hits, I don't care if it's a carbon copy of the last one. Well, we're in it again. Isn't that right? Why, sure, that's right. And I've had people say to me, well, you know, you're just too hard. I'm going to get harder. I found out how it works. Now, God's never done anything in this earth that He didn't first say it. How long and how many times did He say the Messiah was coming? <laughs> if you've got time to count it, it'll go up into thousands of times over that many years. He just kept saying, He's coming. He described Him every way you can think of. He just kept saying, He's coming. And He said, My word goeth forth out of my mouth, and it'll not return unto me void. It'll accomplish that which I preach. And I'll tell you what, all of the circumstances in all the earth look like it wasn't any way. But you think he moved by that? He just kept saying it. He just kept pounding it in there. It didn't make any difference whether anybody believed it or not. He just kept on saying it. Well, see, Satan had the same problem, and he stood up and said, I will exalt my throne above the sides of the north. And God said, no, you won't. And when the two of them's word clashed, the word of a free spirit, a, a spirit with the authority of words spoke, then it had an, an usurped authority over a dead angelic spirit's words. And God's words came out victoriously. Isn't that right? Same thing will happen in your life. Satan will come along and say, you're not going to make it. Now, if you agree with him, he'll run the gauntlet. He'll push it as far as you'll keep on agreeing with him. But when you stomp your foot and say, no, sir, the word of God says I don't have to do that and that I'm the righteousness of God and I'm not going any further. I am not going to have this sickness and disease in my body anymore. But now I'll tell you, when you make that decision and you put that word out of your mouth, then I want you to know right now, if you intend to walk by the thing, if you intend to change the things that are around you and bridle this body and change it, then you're going to have to be unwilling to change or relent or move one ounce. Hell's going to have to move. I'm not going to. I know God won't. You follow me? Sympathy, then, begins to move in on the scene. Oh, that's too hard, Brother Copeland. Now, don't be hard on those folks. Be easy on them. Let them die. No, I can't do that because I'd have to be responsible for it then. Because I found this out. I found this out. I've learned this. Oh, listen, the easiest thing in the world is be to go easy on you. That's what most all the preachers are doing now. Boy, I'll tell you what, when you, you go to setting down on it and not relenting, not determined, let me tell you something. I had, I had a most unusual experience. Any of you that know Kenneth Hagin don't know how unusual this is. Because I've been around him now for almost 11 years. And all the things I ever heard him say, other than in the pulpit, 
you could <laughs> write them on the back of your hand, you know. I mean, he just doesn't talk much until he gets the anointing of God on him, and he does. But a few nights ago in our meeting in Tulsa, he and I had a meeting together, and, and we were discussing some of the things of the Word of God, and, and he got to talking. And I know good and well God's anointing came on it because I had to find this out. See. And he started telling some things about the early days of his ministry, and he got to talking about some things in Smith Wigglesworth's ministry. And, and see, God used Smith Wigglesworth's ministry where Kenneth Hagin's concerned, the way he used Kenneth Hagin's ministry where I'm concerned. And he knew men that had... Uh, that had been on his staff and had ministered with him and, and, uh, but before he died, see, and then he'd read a lot of material about Wigglesworth back there years ago that's now out of print. You can't find it anymore. And he said they were ministering one night and, uh, they usually had prayer cards because there was so many people to minister to. They had to set this thing up where if you got prayed for, they had to keep as many people out of that prayer line twice as they possibly could because it just, no, how are you going to pray for 50,000 people? There's no way. And, and it just, people that just be, just a sea of people to minister to. So they had, they were doing it this way. And this particular time, for some reason or other, there was, uh, they didn't have any prayer cards or something. He told them, he said, now if you've been prayed for the night before, don't get in this prayer line. Well, here come a fellow up here on two crutches. Now you got the picture. I mean, here comes a guy on two crutches. He comes up on that platform, and the guy was telling Hagen, he said, Now, I knew he'd been up there the night before, but I didn't want to go tell that old man, get off that platform, you know. You go get a guy that's got two crutches and make him get off the platform. He said, I wasn't going to do that. And he said, so the, the guy walks on up there in front of Mr. Wigglesworth, and he turns him around and start, start to pray for him, backed on and said, Wasn't you up in that prayer line last night? Yes. What are you doing up here again tonight? Oh, see how hard he's being. He's not being hard on the man. He's being hard on the thing that got him that way. And I said, yeah, I was up there last night. He said, but, but I didn't get anything last night. Don't you talk that unbelief to me. You're here now and ain't got sense enough to know it and turned him around and kicked him in the seat of the bitches and run him off of the platform. <laughs> Now, that's rough. <laughs> but the man got healed. <laughs> now, just to be mean about it, not knowing what you're doing, is another thing. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Wigglesworth wasn't mad at the man. He was mad at the thing that the Satan had sold him and got him in that shape. Jesus was that way. A lot more than most Christian people would like to admit he was that way. The Syrophoenician woman came in there begging, squalling, bawling. That's the reason her daughter was flat of her back. He called a woman a dog. <laughs> now, man, now, I'll tell you, that's pretty rough. But boy, it got her attention. Made her mad. The minute she made her mad, she changed her saying and said she is going to get it. She said with her mouth then that she's going to get deliverance for that girl. She said, if I get the crumbs, I'll get him. The dogs get the crumbs. 
He said, well, for that saying, go on your way, you daughter. Well, I can just see him smiling. He, man, he done laid it in there, you know, and beat the devil again at his own game. Praise God. Now, read here just a moment with me because I want, I want you to make certain that you know and you're thinking exactly what I'm saying here. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. Now, he says the tongue is the fire, it is the world of iniquity. The whole world of iniquity depends on the key. And he says the tongue is the same thing among our members. It is the same thing among our members. I want to show you something here. I tell you, this hurt me right down to the core when I first read it because I realized what I'd done. Christian people, honest Christian people, I mean born-again people, I just, why, they'd just rather do take you out and skin them as to, as to use God's name in vain. Now, now, if you, you know, you stop any of them and ask them and say, well, what is vain about saying the phrase, God damn a thing or another? Why would that be vain? Why is that so bad? Hmm? I don't know, but that's just as bad as you can say. Why? I know it is, and I agree with you, but why? If it's vain, it'd have to be because God's not the dammer. Isn't that right? I mean, if he was the dammer, it wouldn't be vain. We could say, oh, yes, let's bless that thing. Say, God damn that thing. That bless it. I might have said, well, that's the most backwards, most squirrely thinking I ever heard. No, I didn't. You stand around there and say, God's the one that burns your crop. You turn right back around and say, God took my little niece from me. God took my baby from me. God took my daddy from me. Well, if it's not vain in one place, it's not vain in another. And if it's vain for to say he's the dammer, then it's vain to turn right around and say he's the dammer just using another set of words. The reason God is so vehemently against that is because He is not the dammer. And when you say, God, damn a thing or another or a way, you license Satan to condemn it and destroy it. That's what God hates about it. And then give Him the credit for it. God gets the blame. Satan gets the destruction. And the world don't know the difference between the two. So what do they do? They write in their insurance policies, an act of God. Talk about vanity, boy, that's as vain as you can get. If there ever was using God's name in vain, it's just as vain saying that that is an act of God that brought damnation on, you know, on, on Southern California or damnation in Argentina as it is to sign up and say, well, God damn that thing over there then. Is that right or is it not? See, when you begin to learn how the system works, you begin to see through it. Somebody said, well, I always thought that's what it was. Yeah, you did. And as long as Satan made you think that and could keep you thinking that, then he'll tear up everything in sight. It's when we start thinking according to the Word of God that we begin to realize right in the middle of all this, see, James has already made another statement in the first chapter of James. Let no man say when he's tested, he's tested of God. Don't say that. 
Let no man say it. And you had people go around saying it all the time. All right. Read on here a little bit further. The tongue is a fire, verse 6, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. Now, isn't that what Jesus said? He said, now what goes in a man's mouth defiles him is what comes out. Well, everybody's always thought that that was just the several words that we've classified as profane. But I found out from the reading the Word of God that God considers profanity anything that is crosswise of His Word, His nature, His name, or His power. And He is love. He is not sickness, disease, damnation. He is not the cause of the destruction of this planet. Now, Jesus said that. He said, the, the thief cometh but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. I have come to have my life and have it abundantly. Praise God. Somebody said, well, then, how come I ain't got abundant life? If you listen five more minutes, I'll show you. Not because it didn't be in offerings. It's because we rejected it, not knowing how the system works. Any of you guys working on automobiles or working on your old car, particularly when you was a kid and didn't know how to work the thing and didn't know how that made it work, and you get a particular piece and you start to put that thing back on there, and it wouldn't go. And you stand there and look at it and think, hey, in any way, that won't go on there. And yet, I know it will because I took it off. And you get the thing all built up back up and you still got this piece in your hand. <laughs> you know, in no way. I done put that thing up there. You can't get a screwdriver in there. You can't get it to it. And you finally, somebody that knows comes out there with a grin on their face, takes that thing away from it, and says, and there it went. You say, hey, that won't go on there. I don't know how he did that. But you can't be stupid enough to stand there and say, I don't care if he did put it back, it won't go. No, you automatically know that he knows how that thing was made. He's probably been through the same dumb thing you went through and had to go get the book and find out how the guy that machined the park put it on there. And if he can find that out, he can put it on there. It's not all that much trouble. If he can read, then he can put it on there. Now what we need to find out is how the guy that machined these parts did it. The parts of his body, praise God, and what makes it work, how the, how the thing functions to start with. Then you can see how Satan got in to tear it up. Then you can take the very same weapons and put him out and stop him from tearing it up anymore. Now, he says that the tongue defiles the whole body and setteth on fire the course, or the, my cross reference says, the wheel of nature, and it, the tongue, is set on fire of hell. Now, that's the way the system works. Satan does not, hell does not go set on fire the course of nature against you and cause it to run over you. No. He has to set on fire the tongue. And then the tongue releases and starts in motion the course of nature. And once Satan gets it built up, then it runs over you. Now, you see, we've been given the full armor of God. But most people are not wearing it. They tear it down with the tongue, see. Now, let me show you exactly how he does this I, in praying about it. Uh... Well, the thing that caused me to pray about it as much as anything else is because so many people have been under fire since about the 
last week in December. We've had so many things happen in the kingdom of God. I mean, things are widely publicized. The different people around the country that all of a sudden Satan, it looked like just with no warning, no, no, nothing at all, just broke in and took their, somebody's loved one. I mean, there's been, uh, preachers and famous preachers that lost members of their families and things like, I mean, just, just, just in the last, uh, 65 days. Well, actually, really just the days of 1977. Somebody's usually going around saying why, but you don't hear very much about actually why. It seemed like that's an unanswerable question, but it didn't because we just read the answer. He just got through telling you what causes it. He said the course of nature is set on fire by the tongue, and the tongue is set on fire by hell. Now, you going to believe the Word of God? I'll tell you something. When Satan moves in on a thing like this, the moment you say it with your mouth is not the moment he's looking for. Now, you listen to me. The moment you were born again, and particularly if you went went ahead and received the Holy Spirit of God, you became by yourself a thousand times stronger than He is. Right then, I mean, He no, he no match for you. You were born in the likeness of God, made the righteousness of God, given the full armor of God, given the authority and the power of attorney to use the name of Jesus, that name, which at that name, he's already backed off how many millions of times. What did Jesus use on him? The Word. The Word. And his own disciples came back and said, you know, the devils are subject to us in your name. And at that time, his name had not even been exalted. Now, he's been given a name highly exalted above every name, that at that name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. Every what confess? Tongue. It is involved in everything you do. So now, here you're coming along. You are a potential danger. Then you go to getting into the Word. All of a sudden, you quit just wagging that Bible around with you and you start digging in that thing. All of a sudden, so you, you hear on the radio that, that Jerry Savelle's going to be preaching in town. You think, you know, I ought to go to that meeting. And he thinks, oh, he's about to find out. He's going to go to saying the wrong things. He's about to find out. Jesus said, Satan cometh immediately to take out the word which was sown in their heart. And these are they by the wayside who have no root in themselves and endure but for a time. Afterward, when persecution and affliction ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they become offended. They get mad. Get mad at God and mad at the guy that's preaching it. Now, the way it works is this. You're walking along here and you say, well, I'll tell you what. I'd rather die in a car wreck than I had to get in one of them little airplanes. Satan says, okay. Now, if he's dumb enough to run over you that day, then everybody that heard you say that would catalog that and say, boy, you ain't going to catch me saying that. That's what it'll get for you. No, no. No, he just, he just writes it in the book. It's already judged. 
He has to operate this way. This is the reason we got the advantage over him. You could have stopped right then and said, nope, in the name of Jesus, you ain't catching me dying in a car wreck. And I renounce that and Jesus, I repent of it right now. And I'm asking you to forgive my disobedient mouth in the name of Jesus and say, oh. <laughs> But the main problem is nobody knew what they had done would ever show up again. So he just waited. And somebody else will come along in a few weeks and said, uh, I'll tell you what, if you'll meet us out there at the airport, we'll fly you down there. Street. You ain't going to catch me in one of them little airplanes. Well, I'd rather die in a car wreck than ride one of them. Satan said, just let him go on. Let him shoot his big blab mouth off. Then two years later, in the middle of the night, right after a great meeting, and the guy comes out of there after he's given his testimony and stood up before people and said, glory to God, and Satan wipes him out out in the freeway out there. And somebody said, why did that happen to Deacon Smith? <laughs> but the course of nature was already set. I was in Beaumont, Texas, and there was a lady came to me, and she said, Brother Copeland, I have something I want to put before you because she said, I got to know. I have to know she said, my husband and I were saved at the same time. Had, I don't remember now, five, six children. She said, both of us love God. We both go here at this church where I had just started a meeting. She said, we both go to this church. Been go said, he loved God. We're both in the same Sunday school class. We pray together. We believe God together. But she said, here not too long ago, we had an automobile accident that was just out of sight. She said, there was a, a guy that was that was drunk, ran over our car, said he crossed a major intersection, ran a red light doing over 100 miles an hour and hit our car, it, and it broke that car in half. I mean, he hit it so hard that their car came in two. And she said our family was scattered out all over a block and a half. And she said I was laying out on the grass in between those two highways, the, the infield there, you know, the meridian between the two roads. She said, I was laying out there. She said, I never did go unconscious. But she said, I knew my body was broken up from one end to the other. And said, I was laying there praying in, in the Spirit and believing God. And, and, and she said, I, I, I could tell. I said, I couldn't move much. But said, I could see one of my babies laying over here. And his skull was split. She didn't know it then, but his skull was split all the way. And the boy lived. She said, but now my husband... Said there wasn't anything wrong with him. The doctor said he was the least injured of the bunch and he died before the next morning. He didn't live through the night. And said all the rest of us lived. She said, now I don't understand that. She said, we both love God. Both of us love the Lord. Well, I didn't understand it. I said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let you and I set ourselves in agreement. I said, you forget about all of the old time religion excuses of God in his great wisdom was lonely without him. That's a big bunch of rot that anybody ever sold somebody in grief. That is a bunch of hooey. Somebody said, well, he looked down through the years and saw that he's going to turn from God and he took him. My Lord, he had to God every one of us on that basis. God didn't take him. He's not to be accused. So I said, I'll tell you what, you forget all that, and I will too, and we'll just get before God here and we'll set ourselves in agreement that the Spirit of God will reveal to us from the Word what happened. 
And I found out later, in general, what happens through the whole thing. I asked the Lord one time, I said, what causes that? He said, well, my word tells you what causes that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Now, there's the answer. If you want to know the answer to that, why did it happen? Lack of knowledge. Oh, yeah, but he's super Christian. I don't care if he was, he still sees through a glass darkly. Isn't that right? Man, as much as we're finding out in these last days, man, every time you find out something, you find out how little you know. Thank God my confession is, praise the Lord, he that's within me knows it. Whatever I need, he'll give me the time, praise God, rather than be caught short, see. Well, we went ahead with the meat. <clears throat> and I was teaching on some of these things then. But now, you see, back then, I mean, that was eight and a half years ago. I didn't know as much about this then as I do now. And I really never had seen that part where it says the course of the wheel of nature... All of it is put in motion by the tongue. I knew then that you could use the tongue and release faith and change things with it. I, I could see that. I could see some of the things, but I didn't see that it was at the very, the very bottom. I didn't see it was the kindling. I didn't see it was where it all started. I was beginning to see it. I saw some of it walk up through that meeting. She came up there after one of the morning services, and we'd been teaching on, on the words of the mouth. So she came up there and said, Glory to God, Brother Copeland, I saw it. I know what happened. I know what happened. I said, well, tell me, lady. I want to know. And not only that, but, but man, I'll tell you, it broke the power of grief over her. It broke the power of the whole thing. And when, once she saw what happened, she said, I'll tell you one thing. It'll never happen in this household again. I said, well, what happened? She said, while I was laying there on my back, Now, you follow me carefully, because this is the way the system works. And I'll tell you right now, fear is the basis for the words of doubt and unbelief that spew out our mouths. And you get a man under pressure and get him scared, and he'll say what's in his heart. And when he says it under that kind of pressure, he in believes every word of it will come to pass with all of his heart. And that's the weapon that Satan uses, is fear. She said, he walked up there to me. She said, I was laying out there on that grass, on my back. She said, I knew I was broken up all over. And, and she said, I just, I, I didn't want to move. She said, I just laying there praying in the spirit. Well, now you see, she chose words that were beyond her intellect. She stepped away from her intellect and began to speak words of God at a moment like that. And Satan didn't have a, didn't have a chance with her. Because those words are according to what? The perfect will of God. Isn't it what the, when the Spirit helpeth our infirmities when we know not how to pray as well? He maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he that searcheth the heart knows the heart and knows the mind of God. And prays the will of God for the saints. Huh? Well, see, she was taking advantage of that. He, she said, he walked up there and stood over me and looked me right in the face and said, I am a dead man. Died for morning. Wasn't anything physically wrong with him. She lived. Little boy with a split skull lived. In fact, every member of the family lived but him. You stop and think about this, man. Somebody said, well, uh, I know those people over there. I mean, I know they believe God. I know, you know, that they walk by faith. How come it to happen to him? No, you don't know. 
You don't know what comes out of a man's mouth in the midnight hours. You don't know what a man says right before he dies, good or bad. The very last thing he said may have canceled the whole deal just before he left. That's happened too. There's going to be a lot of heaven's population that's going to surprise a lot of uppity folks. I guarantee you, because there's a many old boy that grabbed hope on the way out. <laughs> it made it, praise God. Yeah, that's right. But now, we must be determined to be the uncompromisingly righteous and stop that. Now, here's all of Satan's team over here. Here's all of God's, all the angels of God, all of, all of God's forces, all the corporate power of heaven. And here stands a man in the earth. Now, Jesus has already said with his mouth, every word that proceeds out of your mouth will be judged. When is it judged? When it comes out of your mouth. Did you ever notice God putting anything off? It's judged now. Whomever is responsible to bring it to pass is the one that acts on it. See, you speak words of doubt and unbelief and so forth like that, and Satan and his bunch are responsible for it. They're the ones that act on it. And uh, right on the other hand, you start speaking words of faith and the power of God. Satan will, will work to get you to change what you've already said. But if you won't change it, he can't. Now, the problem most people have is being double-minded. James had something to say about that. He said the double-minded man in the first chapter, seventh, eight verses, is unstable. Now, what he means is, by being unstable, he's bouncing from one to the other. And he said, let not the man not think he's going to get anything from the Lord. He can't. He'll say one thing that Satan will move on. He'll say something else right behind it that God will move on. And the two forces clash and it just negates everything. They're both just standing there. And here he is out in the middle just flopping from one side to the other. And he never gets anything. He, he just always at the mercy of whatever he feels at the time. And whatever he loves. Well, he's up one day and down the next. He's, uh, he's unstable, see. He's being tossed to and fro. But now, if he's unstable and continues to be unstable... He will wind up somewhere down the line bending toward the negative and that bitter water will overtake the sweet water every single time because the course of this world is in the negative and you're going to get a lot of negative help. Now what happens when you pray for somebody and you say, I believe God for you heal I say you healed. Now yeah, I'll tell you what, you better take it easy a couple of days. Man of two minds. He says you're healed, but you better be careful. Now, it's not an easy thing to change. And when you change it, the more you change it and the more affirmative you get, the uglier looking you are to the people around you. You're being hard. Well, look at them. They're having such a hard time and you won't even hold their hand. I don't need to hold their hand. They didn't want me to hold their hand when they healed before. Yeah, but they ain't here now. Yeah, they are. I said they were. Oh. 
And like Brother Wigglesworth said, he just ain't got sense enough to know it. Now, he wasn't talking about the lack of intelligence. He's talking about the lack of knowledge of the Word. He wasn't just being hard. He meant what he said. But when they come up healed, it's a different thing. And that man told Kenneth Hagin, and Brother Hagin told me, he said, I'll tell you, he said people get so mad at him that they'd want to storm that platform, pull him off of it. Before anybody could get out of the seat, something that happened, just have you on your knees in the floor bawling before God. Because such magnificent things would take place. But you see, when people have been so oriented over in sympathy, what does sympathy do? Sympathy fully agrees with your woe and your grief and says, oh, my God, I wish there was something we could do. In other words, you've had it anyway, and I'm agreeing with you. Well, any two of you agree, touching anything, it'll come fast. And that thing just keeps on and on and on. Now, in closing, let me show you this. When we begin to guard what we say, and begin to be very, very aware of it and pray in that direction like David did. He said, put a watch over my mouth. Put a guard on my, on my tongue. Let me know. Let me know it. Let me know when my tongue is disobedient. Solomon said, put away from you a disobedient mouth. The Bible says, give Satan no place and stop all corrupt communication from coming out of your mouth. When you begin to stop that corrupt communication, you begin to put a stop to it, and you are absolutely become intolerable of any kind of a word that is that you know that Jesus of Nazareth cannot function and operate on that day. And you begin to operate that way, you will see a little results in the beginning, but that's not when it really, really counts. The results is there in the world of the Spirit, but it's going to have to be manifest in the world of the natural. And when you begin, you're like a little bitty, tiny baby that's standing behind a huge dam. And you got a little bitty bucket and a little bitty spoon. And the dam's got holes in it from one end of it to the other. That's your dam. And you're the one that poked the holes in there. And here you stand out here, you're just a little bitty baby believer. I mean, you just now started. At the time your life is the worst is when you are the least capable of handling it. Isn't that true? I mean, the day you was born again got to be the worst time of your life. And that's when you was least capable of handling it. That's where the rest of us ought to be coming in there and helping, you see. But some of us get stuck out there that bucket by ourselves. And you get looking at that thing. Don't look at the hole down like that. Start on the hole that's closest to you. And plug that hole up. As little as you are, you're bigger than that one hole. And the more you plug, the more you grow. Now, what you're after is this. With, by the assistance of the power of God, the Spirit of God, the believers and the family of God and the, coming together like this, where God can give us the advantage over that dam that's full of holes and got leaks all over it. By the time you get all those dammed up and get them all closed, you'll be grown. Then, you can take care and then strengthen that dam before the leaks break. But the key to it is to build a fence out of the confession of your mouth that becomes a solid front 
of the shield of the faith of God that is built brick by brick by word by word by word by word by word until you're slinging that brick and slinging the materials of that wall way on out there and you reach out there and get all of 1977's meetings established before the 1st of January. <laughs> Glory to God. Get it built and get it done. Get moving in that direction. The angels of God will weave and interweave a, a, a wall around you. Satan called it a hedge when he ran up into Job. Job tore the hedge down. And Satan didn't know it. God had to tell him. He said, Behold, he is in thy power. But he never did tear it down where his own life was concerned. He never did say, I'm going to die. He said, Well, I don't care whether I live or die. I'll serve God. And God said, Don't you touch his life. Hedge is still up where his life's concerned. And the very moment that he went to operating in faith, the wall went back up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, you get that wall built up there and get it built and just keep building, keep building, keep building, keep building. I don't care how tired you get, you don't have a week off in spiritual affairs. You don't take off and go play. You come home with no house, no fence or nothing. You're going to have to live this life under God. I'll tell you, the angels of God will interweave a hedge that's built around you and that thing keeps growing and getting bigger. And when you do miss it and you do get a hole poked in it, the angels of God, by your instruction, and that hedge is so big, Satan can't get through that little hole. And they just you just go back over there and fix that. You might catch his finger in it, just slap his finger and get it out of that hole and fix it back up. <laughs> you can get that wall built up there which is impenetrable. And there can't anybody tear it down but you. All the storms of life come and they bang up against that thing, man. Some of them stand out there roaring, saying, I'm King Kong, you know, if they want to. Roar on, monkey. <laughs> Just keep standing on the Word of God. Just keep standing on the Word. Just keep standing on the Word. Now, the key to it is the Word of God. That's where we begin. It said, no man can tame his tongue with the natural power of man, with the same power that you tame beasts with. You can't do that. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. The tongue doesn't have any choice. The heart is where the choice is made. You pump that heart full of the Word of God, and it'll come out your mouth. You pump it full of the Word, and it'll come out of your mouth. If you don't, it won't. And if it doesn't come out your mouth, guess what does? And there goes your wall. There's a lot of people never do get the thing built up. You don't even get it waist high. Get mad and go out there and kick it down. When the hell come I ain't got no wall around me? Yeah! I'll tell you what little I do have. Why, I'm going to say what I please. Rave on, mama. They bring you home in a basket. And all your kinfolk will say, see there, that thing don't work. I told you it didn't. They didn't hear you in your midnight hour. Besides that, when you talked that way, it sounded natural to them. Sounded like you finally got some sense. Thank the Lord, he's finally like us. We'll all go down together. <laughs> Thomas always talked that way. 
Jesus talking about going and raising Lazarus from the dead. And you know what Thomas said? Let's go die with him. <laughs> Did you ever notice out of that that Jesus would not use the word death? <laughs> it wasn't involved in his vocabulary. Would not involve mine either. Yes, it is. Most English-speaking people use the word death to, to express themselves more than any other word in the entire English language. Scared me to death, thrilled me to death, worried me to death. I'm just dying to go. Why well, my husband knew that, they'd kill him. You don't understand why my husband's about to die. Hmm? Jesus would use the word sleep. Because that's the way he looked at it. He's not moved by what he sees, what he feels. He's moved by what he believes. And he knew as long as he's operating in the, in, in the word and in the power of God, wasn't no hard to raise a guy from the dead and was wake him up from sleep. Yeah, but that is Jesus. But he wasn't using anything different than what's been given to you and me. Now, what we're going to do this morning, I want you to stand on your feet. We are going to exercise our faith right now. The Bible says you shall reap what you sow. We are going to replow the field and dig up all the seed. <laughs> so we get a very distinct crop failure on what we've already sown. <laughs> Glory to God. The Bible says you'll reap what you sow. It goes ahead to teach us that the seeds that we sow are words. And what you reap is what you sow with your mouth. You reap under the, you sow under the spirit, you will reap spiritual things. You sow to the natural, you reap natural things because that's the way you sow it, is with words. Now, Jesus has left us knowing this. When he left the earth, he left us knowing this, that he is the high priest, the apostle and the high priest of our profession. He's the high priest of our mouths. It's not just us saying it. Glory to God. When we say it, then he backs it. He's also let us know that he's our advocate with the Father, even the righteous Jesus Christ. When we confess our sin before him, now, did you ever notice that that system works that way? How do you get rid of sin? By speaking it with your mouth. You speak the sin with your mouth and it removes it from your life. You speak it with your mouth. You speak it away from you. I'll show you something, the same thing. See, God is light. In Him is light. He is light. Isn't that what the Word says? We walk in the light as He is in the light. He is the light. At the speed of light, time stands still. There's no time when you get beyond the speed of light. It stands still. Now, don't ask me why. I don't know why, but I know it does. And our scientists keep fooling around with this. They, they don't know just exactly what to do with it. They ought to buy them a Bible and they can find out. But in order to begin time, to start it into motion, God said, light be. What did he do? He thrust the light out away from himself with his words. We take the light of God, that very power, the faith of Almighty God that's inside us, and when we confess a sin, the Bible said he is just to forgive us our sins when we confess them and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
And that's when we put the system to work. You speak that sin with your mouth and push it away from you with your words. I repent and I confess the sin of wrong words in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and I receive my forgiveness for them and right here and now by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony, the word of my testimony, I close out, reject, and every other way condemn and cancel every word that has ever come out of my mouth in my whole entire existence that was crosswise of the word of God and anything that Jesus could not operate upon. Glory to God. Now we can replant this garden. (laughs) Would you like to do that this morning? Okay. I want you to just lift your hand unto God and I'll lead you into things. Say it out loud with your mouth. O Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, I receive your word that says, The tongue is what defiles me. The tongue sets on fire. The course of nature around me, and hell sets on fire the tongue. This day, I am determined that hell will not set my tongue on fire. I renounce, I reject, and I repent of every word that has ever proceeded out of my mouth that was against God that Jesus could not operate on. I cancel its power by dedicating my mouth to the success of God's power in my life, to the glory of God, to the uplifting of Jesus, to the ministering of grace to the healing of people, to the prosperity of the kingdom of God, for my own healing and deliverance, everything that's becoming to God, and all that I speak, I speak in the name of Jesus, and I declare as the oracles of God. I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm God's child. I'm victorious. I'm the righteousness of God. The life that I now live. I live under the Son of God who gave Himself for me. And I thank my God in Jesus' name. I am determined to be single-minded by the words of my mouth. Now just praise him and thank him and rejoice in it. All right, now let's pray this together. Father, put a guard over my mouth continually. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now just worship God and thank him and praise him for that. Praise Him for that. Worship Him for that. All right, now let me tell you something. Do you believe what you said? Well, now don't walk out of here and go right straight over at that cafeteria and walk up there in the buffet line and say, all I have to do is pass five on these things and I gain six pounds. 
I preached very near the same thing in a meeting that we had not too many weeks ago. Larry Taylor and I, he is sitting right beside me. He's my witness, what I'm telling you so. We left that Saturday afternoon service and went right straight back to the hotel, which took less than five minutes to drive over there. I hadn't eaten it all that day and, and about half of the day before, and so I said, let's go in there and get us a salad or something before I go up and get ready for the night service. He said, okay, so we just stepped into the hotel restaurant there. There were four people walked in there right behind us and sat down over there, and, and they smiled real big way and said, boy, we sure enjoyed that afternoon service. Dear Lord, God, that is good. And they just bragged on it, you know. And I felt so good about that. It just thrilled me so, you know. And they brought them their menus set them down in front of them, and that's exactly what that man said. All I have to do is just read one of these things, and I gained two pounds. I looked at Larry, and he looked at me. I preached over there for an hour and a half, just hard as I could go, read every scripture I could think of. I read about 15 scriptures that afternoon in that thing, where the Word of God said that, and he walked out of there in less than 15 minutes and blurted that thing out with his mouth, and he can't understand how come he's overweight. Oh, yeah, but I didn't say nothing ugly. Well, it depends on how you like that roll around your stomach. You think the fat's ugly, then you said something ugly. Because that's where you got it. Took me 32 years to find that out. I stood in front of the mirror and chewed myself out for eating every other day. And just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and couldn't understand why. I knew I was eating too much. I could understand that part of it. But what was going in my mouth wasn't what was defiling me. It's what's coming out. And I went on a fast and fasted for a week and told God I had to have this straightened out. I told him, I said, I ain't eating no more. Did you tell me what's wrong? He told me in about an hour. <laughs> the only thing of it was that hour occurred on the seventh day. <laughs> But he told me again, he said, some of it you're not going to like because I'm going to have to straighten your attitude out where this situation is concerned. And it was true. And he let me know right quick I was a hypocrite because I was preaching on these things, you see, and turned right around and doing them where that was concerned. I was being moved by what I felt, what I saw. And when I changed my words, I'll tell you what, it did not take two weeks' time to get rid of the fat. The fat left like it is scared But the tongue had to be taken authority over first. Now, that was a year ago this month. And one year later, I weigh two pounds less than I did a year ago when that weight come off of me. Somebody said, you mean you don't have any more weight problem? Never did have any weight problem. I had a tongue problem. Had a food problem. And it was set on fire by hell. And that's where I was headed. Until I changed it, it didn't change. Because I'd go on a diet for two or three weeks, see, my body would go down a little bit, but my tongue would get worse. I'd get under pressure, and I'd, oh, and then I'd stand up and say, I can't understand how come everything I like is illegal, immoral, or fattening. Well, I got rid of the illegal and the immoral back there about 10, 12, 15 years ago, see, when I got on the world, but the fattening part was still there. So I had to get rid of that. When I got rid of that, I didn't have any more trouble with the food. Praise the Lord. 
Father, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name for your word. Dear God, we thank you that this thing is in our midst, that we do have something we can find out about these things. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In the mighty, precious name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.